Every day, 130 Americans die from opioid overdose. Some of us are in invisible prisons today, even as we try to appear free. Sales of alcoholic beverages are up 55% compared to a year ago. I believe God's going to set you free. Welcome, everybody, to another episode here on the Recovering Reality Podcast. I'm excited today about the conversation that uh, we, the three of us here, are going to have, and I think it's uh, very relevant and needed. Um, I want to introduce our our two guests here, and then I want to give a little bit of a story as to why we're having this conversation and why we think it's extremely important to be having. Um, Our guest today, Josh McCall. Josh, how are you this morning, man? Good. Thank you. Joining us from Florida as well, where it's always sunny. (laughs) And beautiful. (laughs) Yes. And Shannon Herb, who is joining us from, I believe it's Kentucky. Shannon, how are you this morning? I'm good. I'm good. Good. I'm really excited to have... It is. It is a Wednesday today. The days all blend together for me because just how how my work goes. But it's good to remember what day of the week it is, too. So this is going to be probably a little bit of a different conversation than you've heard here on the podcast, but I think it's extremely important, and I'll tell you why. Um, First of all, a tiny bit of backstory. About two weeks ago, I was thinking, man, you know, which which I believe was just a totally uh, God-inspired thought, and I'll explain why. I was thinking, you know, wouldn't it be cool to have like a... Uh, it was it was actually after the episode with my mom and I, who, who got a ton of good feedback and it's got a lot of mileage. And I was thinking, wouldn't it be cool to have more of that? We're like a, a, a mom and a son again, or a brother and sister or something like that, and get a bigger perspective here on what addiction does to individuals and families and, and the healing process that needs to take place with it. And having that thought and like, man, that, that's a good idea. I think those conversations need to be had. I think it was two days later, our, our friend Luke Wallet, who's also been on the show and uh, has a really powerful story and is living into some uh, very amazing recovery, called me and said, hey, I think there's some people you should meet, man. It might be real good to come on the show and, and share their story. And he introduced me to the two of you, sister and brother. And presented the exact same idea that I was thinking about two days prior. And I, I actually cut him off like before he finished. And I was like, let me just explain something to you. Before I even meet them, I think this is a good idea. We have um, become acquainted recently. And I'm excited to have you guys open up and share your story today. So Josh is uh, nine months into his recovery. Um, doing, doing very well uh, here in Southern Florida. Has gone from... Uh, I won't tell the whole bit. You can get into it a little bit, but has gone from an atheist to a uh, joy-filled relationship with God. Is that fair to say? Uh, more than fair, absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. Shannon uh, is in Kentucky and also has worked a lot in the field of recovery and is a business owner and is doing very well herself in uh, in Kentucky, helping, still helping quite a bit uh, in the treatment industry and in the recovery world correct yes that's correct good well it's good to see your smiling faces on here this morning and let's uh let's do this so let's dive in so as you just heard me explain um josh who is early in his recovery doing well um but things always weren't so good in in your journey and it as anyone that has any understanding with addiction recovery, these things, it affects the whole family. Sometimes the family doesn't realize it or it takes them a while, um, but it affects the whole family. So we want to dive into a little bit of that today from some different perspectives, but Josh, why don't maybe you get started for us, man. Um, And what was, what was the younger years like and, and when did addiction sink its hooks in? Absolutely. Um, so the younger years for me <clears throat> were, um, my first memories actually were of a, a little town called Quarryville, Pennsylvania. Um, ab- I still love it. Still my favorite town ever. Uh, my, my brother could say the same. Um, speaking of, um, I was lucky 
in the sense that I was not only did I have a um, a wonderful sister who you see here now, um, who is only 11 months older than us, but I was born with a twin, identical twin brother. Um, so we were kind of like triplets, you know, and so I always had two people to look up to growing up. Uh, my brother, my brother being 25 minutes older than me. 25 so, minutes. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I wasn't expected. We'll just put it that way. Um, I was, I was a surprise. Um, and, <laughs> and let me tell you, that's the way my life's been <clears throat> for my family. It's been nothing but a surprise. Let me tell you all these years. So, <laughs> um, this last, uh, being getting sober, um, is a pleasant surprise, I should say. So, uh, my younger years, I remember getting back to it. Um, <clears throat> I remember one of my first memories was of my mother and my father um, separating, getting a divorce. And um, I remember specifically uh, that we were sitting in front of, maybe it was a, a judge or their lawyer or something. And uh, we were asked, uh, you know, who do you want to live with? And I didn't say anything. And both my brother and my sister said, daddy. And because they said, daddy, I said, daddy. I really had no idea what was going on, to be honest with you. So, um, so how it ended up was, and, and this is a plays a huge part in my story. Um, how it ended up was that my brother and I ended up uh, with my father, and my sister ended up going with my mother. And my mother moved four hours away um, to a small town called Halstead. And uh, you know that that's the way our our, uh, our life was. We we saw our mom once or twice a month, um, and those times were absolutely. Um, just memorable, nothing but good memories. Uh, my childhood was actually really good. I did, my father did remarry um, to, who, to uh, who is now a wonderful, wonderful woman, uh, my stepmom. But in the, the, the few years, uh, the first few years, I would say actually the first, I would say good 10 years. Would, would you say 10 years, sis? I say a good many years. I mean, you know, when you look back at when we were growing up, Josh, you know, our parents were young when they had us both sides and they did the best they could, but based upon how they were raised. And, you know, back then we didn't know it, but um, our parents suffered from, you know, mental illness and also had some issues from their past growing up, um, some, you know, some scars and um, some traumas of their own that, you know, came to surface as they were raising us, but we didn't really understand what it was because, well, you know, back in the nineties, there was no such thing as mental health. You didn't go to see therapy. You don't go, you didn't go to seek therapy. You swept everything on the rug and it was like a family hidden secret, you know? So we, we dealt with it. They dealt with it the best in which they knew because of the stigma from when they were being raised in the sixties and the seventies. And I'll just chime in real quick. I, I'm glad you bring that point up because my mom and I covered it when we did did our um, episode. And I, I emphasized it that even just, gosh, so even just when addiction sunk its hooks in my life in the late 90s, the understanding of mental health and addiction then compared to now is drastically different. Drastically different. And so I'm glad you mm -hmm. emphasized that point because sometimes people listening, sometimes we're just... It's a passing thought. We don't really have a lot of understanding of addiction. We don't understand that. that it, mental health has come a long way. The stigma, the, there's been a lot of progress. I think there's still a lot that needs to be made, but it's come a long way. And there just wasn't, it wasn't treated the same way back then. It wasn't understood really back then. Not like yeah, it is now, at least, that's for sure. No, not like it is now. And, you know, my point, you know, I was making in regards to our parents. I mean, they struggled with their own mental health issues. And again, they did the best they knew with how they knew what to do it with, right? Mm -hmm. The tools that they mm -hmm. learned from growing up. And yes, did we have an abusive home? Yes, we did have abusive, abusive home that we were, we were raised in. Um, both On both sides ends. Of it. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is, is that it's what they knew. And, you know, growing up being angry or growing up and being angry and not understanding, um, I think where the healing part from our childhood came from is knowing that when you realize what mental health is, you grow up you learn about it, you work in the industry, you really can't blame your parents. They did the best they could. Um, but I wish that there was the same kind of, you know, um, 
options out there for treatment back then that there are now for them. Um, so, but yes, we did have some tough times growing up. Um, some tough times, but let me tell you, um, <clears throat> be quite honest with you all in all, um, memories of my childhood are very, very good. Um, and what, what, what my issue was, what I struggled with, with, um, you know, the abuse didn't help. Uh, it was, there was a, a little bit of mental and physical abuse. And uh, I, I've always, and to this day, I'm still working on it, but I suffer from a low self-esteem, okay? So <clears throat> luckily for me, growing up, I had something that at that point was my higher power. I found sports. My brother and I did. We excelled in sports. Uh, first, it was soccer, and then we found our love. My love for, like I said, my higher power from the age of nine until I was 19, and that was football. I lived for football. I mean, had it not been for finding that, I can almost guarantee you the insanity of my addiction, my alcoholism would have taken effect years before it did. So that really held it, held it off. So, you know, excelling in sports, you, 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 and, and another thing, my, my story is, is really, um, I really need to put in there too, is I, always felt like I had to have an identity. And I did. I was Johnny football star. You know what I mean? And, and that was my identity for over 10 years. And so then, you know, I get to a point where I graduate from high school and, you know, the future's bright. It's bright. Um, I enrolled in the National Guard, uh, went down to Fort Benning, Georgia, did my basic training down there for infantry and, uh, you know, graduated that. And uh, right after that, I went to college, um, a university called East Stroudsburg University. And, you know, life was good um, for me. Uh, <clears throat> on the other hand, for, for my father at that time, point in time, he was going through a real rough patch, um, more so than I could have ever imagined. He, uh, he was, you know, my, my first mom had left him and his second wife, my stepmom, had just left him when I started college. And it was really, really, he was having a very, very hard time with that. Um, hindsight is twenty twenty, but I really, really wish I would have paid more attention to that. But I was all about, you know, playing football in college and, and you know, about my life. <clears throat> so there was... Uh, this, this is the event that really kicked, I would say, kicked my bad habits and my alcoholism and my just my addictive behavior into overdrive. Um, there was a particular weekend um, that he had invited my sister, my mother, and some friends over for a barbecue on the weekend. And I'm like, sure, Dad, I'll, I'll come home because I was at college, like I said at the time. And, uh, you know, so I was excited about it and we get there and I remember I had to, uh, I spent the night at a friend's house that night before, um, in Lancaster's, that's where we were living at the time, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And that next day we go over to, uh, to where, uh, the house that I grew up in and, uh, where my dad was and, uh, we couldn't find my father anywhere. Um, you know, long story short, uh, I, I think my sister had expressed, hey, well, dad's probably out in his studio. And at that point, I'm like, I'll check. And uh, so, you know, I walked out to the studio and I opened the door. And the first thing I see is him laying on the floor. Uh, the next thing I see is, you know, the rifle, the 22 on the ground. You know, I very quickly put two and two together. And <clears throat> I can tell you, um, from that very moment on, my life was never going to be the same. Uh, Understandably so. Yep. Let me, yeah. Let me, let me ask this. Just um, to catch up with with Shannon's sort of uh, viewpoint of life up to this point. So, um, correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, Shannon. Please elaborate. From your eyes, your brother's doing well. In he's a good kid. Did well in school. Mm -hmm. He excelled in his sports. He was a very clean, clean young man. 
um, <laughs> respectful, responsible. I mean, we got into our arguments and our fights growing up as teenagers, you know, some little sure. physical it's altercations. Yeah. They would get on my nerves. I, was, I would punch them. Uh, you know, the normal sibling thing. Um, my sisters beat me up until I, I got to, until yeah. I grew up a little bit. And yeah, fine. I could beat them up, but nobody else could touch them. <laughs> nobody else can touch my brothers. Okay. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's just how that went. Um, he was a good, he was a good boy. Um, he just, just a really good boy. Uh, I mean, very clean. His room was very clean. He was very particular. You could tell in the room that Jesse and Josh shared what side was yes. Josh. And what side was Jesse's? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he always, Josh was always the lovable one, but he was serious too. I mean, serious about his football, serious about everything. He had a plan. He had a goal. And when dad committed suicide, um, it fractured our family. You don't ever forget a day like that. And you never forget the look on your brother's face when he comes in there. And all I can say is my mom is mom is mom, dad, mom, dad. And we sent our friend Mary out there to see exactly because Josh couldn't get out what was wrong. And when Mary came back, we, we knew she told my mom that he was, uh, he had died. He's dead. And, uh, you know, and the next thing you know, we had um, the police and the corner came and they taped off the area and the last time I remember seeing him was when um, he left to go to work one morning while I was staying with him. And uh, he said, hey, Shani, they called me Shani, he, he did. And he said, uh, daddy loves you. You want to give your dad a kiss? I said, dad, man, I was up till two, three o'clock in the morning, you know, hanging out with my friends. Um, I said, I'm really tired, dad. And uh, he goes, well, daddy will leave you $50 on the nightstand, which I knew something should have, was up with that because he never gave us money without working for it. Mm-hmm. Life is not going to give you anything on a silver platter. You're working for it down to your secret deodorant that you think you're going to be putting on your armpits, you know? Yeah. Um, You know, and that, that's, I think, I think we could have dealt with anything and been okay with, you know, the events that would have left, you know, we would have gone through, um, without that tragedy, I think we could have worked through as a family with him and, and mom and, and going on about our lives. But when he killed himself, the, that, that strength in our life, the person that we called our hero and he was our everything. And he was the strongest man I ever knew. I thought, um, he killed himself. He did probably the most cowardly, cowardice thing I ever, ever could imagine anybody doing. But then I was 21 years old and I didn't really understand all of it. I, I just didn't understand. I was angry. Um, but what we had to do was make sure that Josh was okay because Josh was the littlest brother and he was always the one that we had to look out for in regards to because of how, up for him. how, yeah, how naive I was too. I was a very, very naive yeah. young man. Yeah, naive. Absolutely. So um, I thought, you know, if you've ever heard the the term, I'm sure you have in, in the recovery community, the pink cloud. Well, my the entire my entire childhood, teenage, the early adulthood years where I was living on the pink cloud. Right. Nothing was wrong. Everything was great. Yeah. And boy, was that ever a huge, huge dose of reality. I mean, the biggest dose of reality you could possibly ever get. The worst. I mean, you know, not, not those realities. When you graduate from high school, you go to college and you have to go out in the working world and you realize it's not all great and wonderful, but can yeah. imagine his reality was that he lost his hero. We all did. Um, so Josh lost himself there because my dad was his identity. My dad was Josh's whole entire world. Jesse's too, but not as much as Josh. There was a special connection between those two. Me and him had that mother, that daughter, father thing. But, um, you know, it's at that point, that's when the family started to enable Josh to make sure make sure he was okay and taken care of. And, and that's when all that, that's when all all that, everything started and it just kept progressively getting worse. Um, for every, for him, especially. And that's when addiction came in. Um, 
And then that's when we started having to deal with the aftermath of Josh's behavior mm. and, and his addiction. You know, <clears throat> I want to just commend the both of you, first of all, because for coming on being transparent and open, it's obviously not easy to talk about. There's so many people out here who have been through these these things and you know not the exact same thing but something similar or maybe something that's almost the exact same thing it's like this all of a sudden it's like the pin was pulled on the grenade and this emotional yeah. explosion is just too much deep trauma it just goes off and fragments everywhere and i don't know how many people are equipped to to deal with that period when something like who who's equipped to deal with that the second it happens is this perfectly healthy response perfectly know what to do and everything just falls into place after something like that that's that's a very intense traumatic thing that that took place and three different humans dealing with it in three different ways josh mm -hmm. lost the, the lost boy jesse um pushing everything down that's the twin. He pushed everything down and he just became angry. You know, Josh, remember Jesse? Oh, he's just angry. Um, short fuse, angry. And I mean, <clears throat> Jesse does have, you know, Jesse does have a drinking issue himself. Um, me, me, I just became what they call the ice queen. Um, I became the one that the family came to. Um, uh, you know, um, yeah, I became the matriarch. I will tell you this <clears throat> as a, uh, an alcoholic in recovery for years, I wished I had what she had where I could drink without impunity. I could stop, you know? Um, <clears throat> so, um, yeah. And, and you, you, hit the nail on the head, sis. I mean, it, you know, it, it affected Jesse and I pretty much in the same way when it came to how we dealt with it. And we dealt with it through alcoholism. We dealt with it through substance, you know? Um, so, you know, very, very, very quickly after that happened, I ended up dropping out of college, got a, um, ended up getting And you're a, uh, not 19, 20 at this time? Yeah, 20. Um, okay. I remember the first time I ever got drunk uh, was, was when I was 20, sorry. 21. Sorry? That was my 20, his 21st birthday that I threw a party for him. It was like oh, almost goodness. a year after dad you, died. Yeah, you and mom did. It was you and mom. Yeah, that was probably so the wait, worst thing to do. The first time you ever got drunk in your life was shortly after this took place and you, when you were 21? Yeah, so keep in mind, wow. okay? No, Josh. Keep in mind. No, that's not true because... And I don't want to call you out on this. I love you, but I remember being really pissed off because I'm not sure. I'm sorry. I don't think I can say that. It's because you you threw up you in can. the mop bucket at the house, at dad's house. So dad's house was already gone and sold. So after dad died, it was quite, so you're still staying at dad's house until we cleaned it out for a month or so. And you got oh. wasted, threw up in the mop bucket. And I was okay. really upset because we were cleaning up and I went to go to get the mop because you didn't, even think about taking the mop out of the mop bucket and you just puked everywhere. Oh, man. Um, so I do recall that particularly. Um, and I was, but, I was okay, mad because now I had to get a new mop. didn't start till after the incident. Yeah. No. Wow. Not really, um, not for Josh. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Uh, don't get me wrong. I did try drinking, you know, in, in high school. Um, sure. Uh, certainly would not try drugs. I didn't even, that wasn't even a thought in my mind because once again, I had that higher power. I had that reason for being, and it was sports. It was football. I didn't want anything to get in the way of that. You know what I mean? So yeah, it, um, I can say that the, the, the real drinking, the real <clears throat> drunk came out after my father passed away. Um, and thank you for bringing that up because I completely forgot about that. Um, well, that's why I'm here. <laughs> yeah, so and to keep in mind, I've imbibed a lot of alcohol in, in these years, and I've killed a lot of brain cells. So you're gonna have to bear with me there, Eric. I apologize. Don't come back. I can attest to it. <laughs> yeah, come back. Mm -hmm. You just uh, so, you lost your way. You were a lost boy. If we can do an analogy like anybody else, you were a lost person walking, walking in in a path of where you had no purpose, Josh, anymore. Everything was stripped. 
yeah. from you. Um, and that's what I saw. I saw this young man that I grew up with, the brother that I knew, slowly disappearing to somebody I had no idea who you were. Um, you were a stranger to me. And it, it was devastating in itself because, you know, you know, we have mom, fix him, do this. Why can't he do this? And then, you know, a lot of the stuff, you know, with being a matriarch fell on, fell on me to take, to take care of a lot of your, your BS. And how many times did you take me in? Uh, many times, Josh. And I can tell stories of how I found you crawling on the, on your knees, hands and knees to take Scott's wallet out of the back of his jeans when he was sleeping, um, to go get alcohol. I can tell no, the time. He... Huh? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I mean, there's a lot of things that went on, but I mean, I think that my role became parent to you. Sure, it did. Because and I'm more uh, like keep dad. in mind. Yeah. I, keep I in mind that like all these things, yeah. All these things that like you caught me doing were things growing up I would have never dreamed of doing. Yeah, I could have left you with my change jar. No mat no no yes. I could have left you with my change jar and and there would be four extra pennies in there for me. You know what I mean? But coming home to seeing you have my change jar brought out on my kitchen table and tell me you're counting it for me when we both knew you were running to spend it. <laughs> Okay. You want to see how Sorry. much is in there. That's funny. Okay. That's yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's um, not, but that's you know, fine. you can laugh uh, at that now. <laughs> yeah. Financially, I can. we I supported can. you. Financially, we had to support him. We didn't yes. know what to do with him. I know that we did wrong by enabling him. And part of us became codependent. I think that if you could ask my brother and my mother what they fear the most, because he his addiction is probably far worse. Well, you can't really equate anybody's equally their addiction to who's worse or who's not worse. We deal with, with diff, different things differently, but he, for our family, he was by far the worst. No job, Easy. couldn't keep a job. Easy. He was poly substance user. He started off with booze and he started stealing and to get cocaine, methamphetamines. He tried heroin once, stealing his nephew's Adderall. Um, yeah. All that stuff. Um you know, uh, but we didn't want him to die. So I think that, I think the tragedy of my dad's death was like, for me is if I have to bury my brother, I don't know, it was hard enough to do it with my father. I don't know if I could do it again. And then there's anger because how dare you put these things into your body, not care about yourself enough. You're essentially killing yourself. And how dare you put your family through this after we've gone through such a traumatic, mm. traumatic event, something that will never go away. My dad didn't leave a net, net note. He didn't say goodbye. We left a guest. There's no closure with him. Closure came with years of working through it. And you have to go through seven steps of grief. So think about working your way up to that seven steps of grief with somebody who is alive and prepared for him to die. Mm -hmm. And so at the I end of it, yeah, huh? <clears throat> I can tell you that that those uh, steps of grief. Uh, one of the main reasons I'll, I'll tell you this: what happened right after my dad was was really. Now I know. I know. I stopped growing as a human being because I didn't deal with it. If you don't deal with trauma, you're gonna stop growing as a human being. Period. That is just my experience. That may not be true for everyone. But I'm hoping that will help someone who has to deal with serious trauma like I did. If you don't deal with it, it's going to end up dealing with you. Mm -hmm. Period. One of the most profoundly, one of the things that I would like to just say about that, Josh, is that, you know, in the business that I am in, you come across a lot of, um, a lot of like, you know, sayings, some, you know, people come up, you know, they'll tell you, they'll say things that are so profound and you have to think about it for a minute. And one of the things that came across my LinkedIn that I, I reshared was um, you have to get uncomfortable. You have to, in order to, to move forward, you have to be, and I have, I, I don't want to waste time searching for it now because it was up on my LinkedIn, of course. Now it's, you know, because I was prepared. I for already it. know what it is. But, but basically you have to be willing to be uncomfortable to finally, to truly find, put yourself in an uncomfortable situation to truly find success. And success is sure. so many different things for people. Success in becoming well becoming whole and knowing it's okay to seek help. Um, a lot of times we walk around, especially people, somebody like me who 
Josh thinks I'm the strongest person in the world and always tells me he wants to be like me. Like I had this cape, the Superman cape. Pretty much. Half the time when we were going through this, I had this. You're watching a commercial where they had like the little face, the circle and a popsicle stick and they'd say, here's your smiley face. Well, behind there, this is my face. Mm -hmm. We had to, we faked it. We had to fake a lot. We had to push down how we were feeling to make sure that, you know, Josh was the key to this. That was okay. Mm-hmm. To save his life, because, you know, whatever we had to do to save his life, you know, we've got, I've gotten physical with him, which I'm not proud of. But you come to the point where you can't anymore. You just can't You come to a point where you just can't, you know, so, you know, I had, you know, you, you know, you just can't. And I think that's what happened to my mom. She just oh couldn't God, anymore. Mom. She couldn't. Mom. I mean, my mom was like one more anxiety attack away from having a stroke. Calling me, what do we do, Shin? He's going to die. And you know what my response was at one point? Because I was so cold and so over it. And so like, can I even love him anymore? Because this is just getting out of control. He don't love himself. Why even bother? Mom, why don't you just get us insurance policy for him? Because none of us can afford to bury him. And he doesn't care about his life. So why, do, why should we anymore? Let me say this. And in, in, in that spot right there. So I work with individuals one-on-one every single day. And part of what I do too is help get people into to treatment, to Banyan Treatment Center, which is the center that Josh um, went to and is, is doing fantastic yep. now. And I spend a good deal of time talking with parents, family members, uh, with individuals I'm working with or family members in the process of trying to get people um, the help that they need for treatment. And I've been asked the question many times of my, this is what my son is doing or my daughter or my spouse or loved one, whatever, for how long, what should I do? Should I cut them off? Should I do this? And I always feel helpless in that spot. I'm like, so you want me to just give you a pat answer? Like, well, this is the answer. And this is what I tell everybody, do this. It's not that simple. I think there is clear signs of enabling that need to be looked at and addressed in a lot of situations. I think there are very obvious things in certain situations people are doing. It's like, okay, yeah, definitely stop doing that, you know, but at the same time, there's a context. How long has this been going on? Tell me where where this person's at. And in the midst of it all, we're talking about someone you like, you're talking about your brother, talking about your son, your daughter, these people I'm talking to You're and it's like, well, what do I do? Just cut them off and let them die? Because it's, it's not like, well, that might happen. It's more like that's a probability. If I right. just say, done, I'm, not, I'm done with it, right? And it's such a fine line to walk because each situation is different. Yeah, there's things that people are doing where it's like, okay, that you definitely need to stop the intense enabling with, you know, in a situation like this. But in the midst of it, I just encourage them the best I can to say, Look, you can just, you're really going to have to do everything you can to speak to the person, let them know they need help. And when they're ready, you're there to help them, you know? And that's really easy to say from the outside looking in, but the person that's in the middle of it dealing with, so you weren't, you didn't dive into addiction, Shannon, but you had your own trauma that hit you. And then this trauma that's playing out through this relationship that's intensely affecting you. There's. I can never say no to him. I can never say no. He, if he had to cut mom's done with him, just to couldn't deal with him anymore. I'm like, send him over, send him over. You know, I'll take care of him. I mean, the boy owes me money. I have a tab I'm waiting for you to get out and get a job so that we can, uh, you know, catch up on it. Start um, playing the lottery, man. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you forget about yourself. Coins is what I'm going to do, and I'll pay it back. <laughs> yeah, I think you should. Uh, you know, they do take aluminum cans now, Josh. They don't pay as much oh, as they used to in the 90s, gosh. but they do pay something back, okay? Oh, here we in go. Florida, here you, we can't, go. you can't panhandle for aluminum. I know it for a fact. I've seen it. No, I'm just let me, let me Let me ask this now, too, Case, because we could, anybody's story, you could go on for four hours about how bad it was. You can. If, you know, we're talking about years of addiction, there's many many stories in there of how bad it was but it's safe to say it was as bad as bad could be yes. right i was hopeless i was hopeless mm-hmm. period he was we you know and uh you know I, and i want to just make this you know clear because i do work in the industry um 
Matter of fact, one of my colleagues is Eric Berkheimer, who does work for Banyan, and he's the national national director of Mark. Is he national director? Of yeah, he's fantastic. Now? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I met him uh, five years ago, um, and I came to Florida to get into addiction because I couldn't save my family. I couldn't save my brother. Couldn't save. Maybe I could save somebody else's somebody else's family member and be a really good positive. Um, a positive person in somebody else's life because I became a saver. I had to save people. That's what, with all the trauma and talking to a therapist, you know, I'm the one who wants to, needs to save everybody and I have to, so I couldn't do it for my brother. So I went to, to South Florida to get involved with the, the recovery community. And I happened to meet Eric Berkheimer, um, which was a very, he was a very, he has been a very positive uh, person in my life. And, um, you know, a lot great of the reasons sense why of humor I do it. Great sense of humor. Mm-hmm. He does. And sometimes I don't even know if I should laugh because he's, I don't know how to take the, <laughs> the jokes. So I'm just like, <laughs> but um, he, uh, you know, he taught me a lot. Um, and he taught me that there is hope. Because mm-hmm. if you ask Eric about his story, he was hopeless. Okay. Um, but he found recovery and he's been in recovery for a very long time now. He does remind me a little bit of my brother, Jesse, talks in the same mannerism he does. So I know that if he's a little bit like Jesse, then there is hope. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? There is hope. And and um, and I know that I'm in the right industry because I'm going to find that place. I'm going to find that program. I'm going to find the people and create relationships and build relationships that I can one day maybe send my brother to when he's open to it. Mm-hmm. I went to go look. I went to go seek like a nomad. Uh, to find something to help and maybe give back because um, and and help help the moms and the dads and the sisters and brothers I've spoken to on the phone personally when I worked at the you know the facilities how desperate and hopeless they feel and I had to be I was able to relate to them and and, and tell them now now it's time to rest your son your daughter your spouse your wife whoever your mom she's in recovery she's coming here to to get to seek treatment and, and to try to to become you know actively, you know, in recovery. And you can sleep now for the next 30 days because you know they're safe. You know they're safe. Let us take that off you. But I'm going to recommend this to you that there's a lot of trauma that you have endured, your family, everybody who's come in contact with your loved one who is here now. I'm going to advise that you seek treatment and help yourself. And sometimes That's you get silent at the end of the phone. That's huge. Because huge. my treatment was coming to Florida. Uh, I mean, I have problems. So who doesn't? You know, I'm, I'm, you know, they call me crazy. What you guys but, have? I don't have any. <laughs> no, I, I, still have, I, I have no idea but, what you're talking about, Eric. <laughs> yeah, I'm the crazy loon. But I mean, <laughs> of the family. Um, but uh, my treatment was to come to find help, to come to Florida, to go to Florida, and to find and seek that treatment and and, and what works and what doesn't work, and who those good people are, and to help others and to do what I wasn't able to help my brother with. And honestly, it was the best thing ever because I met Eric who went to Banyan. And then I was able to get my brother into treatment at Banyan. And now he's at Rock Recovery. And in that, I found other people in the industry who are just as wonderful as Eric Berkheimer and yourself. I'm not going to, you know, and Luke Woolett, um, Randy Grimes and all those people, um, you know, um, but there is hope. There is hope. And uh, there is hope for your loved one. When you're scared and you feel you're alone and you're so terrified that they're going to die and you don't know how you're going to make it another day and you feel crippled and just as sick as they are because it's not the addiction part that you have. It's the mental part. And that's, that makes you sick. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you need you need to seek help and get treatment just as well as your loved one who is actively addicted or in recovery um, because there is hope because there is there is another tomorrow. There is a, a tomorrow and the tomorrow is bright. And it might take you getting uncomfortable in your own skin to work through it, but counseling is required for families and they should seek it without rambling on because I do that. So I think that is I think that's much needed. And I think that is very good advice and it's very true. The whole family goes through something that is intensely traumatic. Um, let me let's let me switch gears real quick because one of the things I want to hear about, so it's destroying the addiction is destroying 
your life, Josh. There's a ripple effect into the family. Shannon has been very open, transparent. And, and you moved down to Florida, Shannon, and Josh is continuing his uh, highway to hell, for lack of a better way of saying it. Mm-hmm. Now, rock bottom is hit. And people, yeah. people have a, a definition. Well, this is rock bottom. I, this is my definition of rock bottom. It's wherever you decide to stop digging. It looks different for different people because it's just wherever the person, you know, where, wherever you, we put the shovel down and stop digging, that's rock bottom. What did, what did that look like for you, man? What did that transition into Banyan in this, the beginning of this process look like? Well, I, I can tell you, I, I was a master at finding rock bottom and then finding the trap door. Yeah, okay. I did that more that, than that once, was me. too. <laughs> yes. But what rock bottom this last time looked like for me, um, to put it into perspective, I have, I have a daughter. Um, and she would visit uh, not very often. We'll put it that way. So the times that she did visit, I would cherish, or I would go visit her, I would cherish. Well, the, the last time she came to visit me in person, um, I was drunk the whole time, spent hardly any time with my daughter. And, you know, my sister will attest to this. I, my daughter adores me, you know, thank God she does because I haven't been there that often, but, and, and I absolutely adore my daughter. I didn't spend any time with her. Um, so <laughs> this is the insanity of this disease. So after that weekend, uh, I'd already, I, I was living with my brother because, you know, I, I, I can't have a functioning life, can I, when I'm drinking? No, I, I can't have my own apartment, my own car, my own things. No, I have to be living with people, you know, family. So I was living with my family at the time, uh, my brother, and they had had enough for like the fourth or fifth time they had had enough. And I was supposed to leave my because, you know, you know, we uh, alcoholics, we have great ideas always do. Um, my idea was to, <laughs> uh, was to buy a tent and there was this patch of woods across from where I worked. Okay. I was going to live in that tent and walk across the street to go to work so I could still drink. That was my master plan. Yeah. And I got called to ask to purchase the tent, by the way. And I said, and mom, mom was crying. Okay, because mom wanted to get, if you're really going to do this, mom was wanted, wanted to get that $150 tent from Amazon that had like three rooms, possibility for AC, yeah. right? So yeah, yeah, he was going to do that. Yeah, and my mom. Mind you, this was the middle of summer. Yeah. She's terrorized now. My mom's terrorized because it's not the first time he's done this in a tent. Josh, you've lived in a tent no, before. Not. Yes, I um, have. And uh, she's mortified. My mom is mortified now. you got to do something, Shannon. I'm like, what am I going to do, mom? So she gave you an ultimatum, Josh. So go ahead and let them know. All right. So uh, that that's what I that's what I opened up with because I remember it was it was the morning after my last drink. All right, because I I know for me at least you always remember your last drink. I do. Um, it was the morning after my last drink, and uh, my mom was going to be leaving that day, and she wanted to discuss what I was going to be doing with my future. And, uh, and then she said this crazy thing, Eric. And your vision was to buy a tent. <laughs> that no, was my sister vision. was buying a tent. Sister was buying a tent, and we were looking well, for I wasn't buying it. Stuff. My family was. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. Yeah. Was, yeah. And hibachis, so, so you can cook and stuff too. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was my great grand vision. And my mom said this crazy off the wall thing. Why don't you go to rehab again? <laughs> and uh, I, I told her right off the bat, no. It hasn't worked before. It's been a waste of time and money. Why would I do it now? And my mom, oh, God love her. Thank God. Um, she kind of knew how to get to me. So I, first of all, I'm going to explain this to you very clearly. I didn't come down to Florida to begin with because I wanted to. I did it because I was going to get something out of it. Okay? That's it. That's how, that's how I worked. So what I was going to get out of it, I was going to be allowed to move back in with my mom. Yeah. She said, if you go down there, what's that? After you finished treatment, you were going to. Yes. Yep. Mm -hmm. I was going to be allowed to move back in with my mom. And I was, I was going to get to see my daughter more often, you know, because my daughter lives maybe 20, 20, 
yeah, 20 minutes from my mom. So I'm like, I'm on it. You know what? You know what? I'm sick and tired of working too. This will be a nice 30 day vacation. Oh, then we tricked him. Oh yeah. And then they're like, oh no, 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 no. You're you're doing this for six months. (laughs) And that wasn't even the case. So by that point, I'm like, all right, let's do it. I'm in whatever. So, um, we booked a, my, my sister did all the work, all of it. She got me, you know, uh, um, to Banyan. Uh, she also helped me get to this awesome place that I'm at now, Rock Recovery. Uh, so, you know, I, I can't thank her enough. Um, I'm bossy. I told Eric what I wanted and he did it. Yes. <laughs> so, but long story short, I, I, we booked the flight and I remember, I remember, I don't know if you know this, sis, but I didn't, I don't think I told you. Um, I wanted to get one last drink in. I wanted to arrive to Banyan, good and drunk. Not so what did I do? Um, I, I, I looked for an open bar at Philadelphia Airport before I caught the plane. This is the only time I'll ever say this in my life. Thank goodness for COVID-19, okay? Because everything was closed and they weren't serving drinks on my flight. So I arrived to Banyan, sober, cognizant. And I do remember one point during that flight, because I, I, I couldn't sleep, just too many nerves. And I remember thinking, you know what? All right, I can't drink. This is it. Why don't I just, why don't I just try to take this seriously this time? And that was the beginning of something special. Um, that was the beginning of God. Me noticing God working in my life. Uh, I can tell you when I get to Banyan, um, from the, the moment I got there, someone said something that was huge huge that I never got before. They said, why don't you leave your will right here at this desk? And why don't you give it to us? Why don't you give your will to God? Why don't you let, why don't you just surrender? And you know, surrender, the word people think of is, uh, it's got negative connotations, right? But in the world of recovery, surrendering is the answer. So I did. It's not, um, it's not surrendering to defeat. It's surrendering to victory. Exactly. It is. So I remember um, a couple weeks in, I, I have a dream. Um, I'm, I'm, I have a dream and this dream is, uh, it entails me drinking and getting wasted. And my sister was in the dream, my brother, my mom, my nieces, uh, my nephew. And uh, I remember how disappointed they were in me. And I woke up thinking that I was waking up with a hangover. It was that real. And I look around and I'm in my room in Banyan. And it was the first time I ever realized in my entire life that I didn't want to disappoint anybody anymore. And I didn't want to disappoint myself anymore because I deserved better. It's the first time I realized that alcohol did not serve a purpose in my life. I, I can't tell you the gratitude that I felt waking up in that room, looking over at my roommate and saying, I have a roommate, I'm in rehab. That didn't happen. And boy, did it ever just hit, hit overdrive my recovery at that point, just from that gratitude that night. Um, uh, I, I can explain to you how, what it's like now um, I could tell you one of the biggest things that could have happened to me was ending up here at Rock Recovery because their program is absolutely amazing. Um, but the seeds were already planted at Banyan. Man, I'm telling you, it was that dream. I, I just, the only way I can describe it, it was a God moment. And I hadn't really connected with God entirely at that point. But I knew something greater than myself was working. So I get here to rock. Um, and uh, very, very quickly, uh, I started attending church. And, you know, in the very beginning of my uh, recovery, I, I was taking a lot of credit for staying sober, being sober. You know, at the end of the day, this really wasn't me. It, it was all God. I cannot stress that enough. It is God working in my life. Let me give you a great example that I just got news yesterday from my brother, and this is God working in my life. I know it. And my sister's life, that he is now coming down to Florida, okay, to a banyan to get help. 
And Jesse, no way. You got this news yesterday. Yes. Just yesterday. Oh, yes. Man. So, so and I Eric, couldn't again, be any more again, proud. Thank you, thank you Eric Berkheimer. Uh, well, so you know good. what? And I, I got to tell you this too. Uh, he told me the main thing was like, and, and, and I, God, I wish I would have gotten this sooner. You know, I would always de deflect when they would say, well, what about your alcoholism, Josh? It's ruining your life. Well, I'd be like, well, what about Jesse? He drinks. What about Scott, my sister's husband? You know, what about them? You know, had I taken a step out of myself and stopped living for me and gotten the help sooner, maybe my brother would have gotten help sooner. Maybe Scott would have gotten help sooner. You know, I get that now. You know, I understand that. Um, my brother told me that he, and you got to understand when I said, my sister and I said I was hopeless, my God, it, that probably is an understatement. I dye my hair because my of brother you, said, I have grays now, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They all have grays because of me. All but, three of you men in my life have given me grays, but I yeah. do everything I do for you guys. So don't ever think that I don't. I know. But my brother told me this and, and it rocked me. It just is like, I can't believe this. This is God. He said, I saw what you did, Josh. And I didn't think that you were going to be able to do it, but you did. And look where you're at now. He said, and, and I know that if you can do it, I can do it. And Eric, isn't that why I'm here? Isn't that what this is all about? Isn't this an altruistic program? Because in the end, it's about giving back. And yes. to and be in a place. Yes. It's a godly thing. You know, the other thing, Josh, is too, you know, it's so incredible about all this and this, this, this journey for all of us to recover, to get you better. Mom, mom of all people, she gives it to God now. She the woman who, my, yeah. who, who bites her, her cuticles and is so stressed out and, and the, the sky is falling chicken little mom gives mm -hmm. her stress to God because in God there is hope. And if you have somebody to give the small stuff to that you don't need to really worry about, he'll fix it for you. We're going to give it to him. My son is, my son is healed. He's in recovery. We have ways to go, Josh, though, because you know, you are in your infancy. It's a, of it. Healing is a journey. Absolutely. But, but we, very, we all have this journey that evidence. we're starting. This spiritual yeah. journey. You know, mom never wants to leave Hoss of Pennsylvania. You know what she wants to do now? She wants to have daughter and son's weekend to go to Maine to spend together to, you know, become whole, start working on our, 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 our becoming whole since we're all are starting to heal. It's huge. And that's a big thing for my, my brothers and my mom to give things to God. Cause I was the first one. They thought I was crazy. A crazy mm -hmm. Bible thumper. You can't give things oh, to God. Oh, Bible thumper for sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. I said, well, Josh, it's either that or the eighth floor lunatic, uh, uh, you know, the, the asylum. I have to give my stress to somebody because if I don't, I'm going to go insane. So, you know, and I prayed a lot. And he's, he's listened and he, he always will listen. He always will be there. He may not give you what you want, but he's going to give you what you need. And, and what I needed yep. was my family to become whole again, because the mark, the, the matriarch can only be strong for so long, you know, Josh. So I think that if I got any gift from anybody, it's, it's a gift of having my brother back and, and, and having yeah. my family become whole where we can communicate, we're not arguing and screaming and fighting, where it's actually a fun conference call, three-way conference call between mom, you and I, and Jesse. And it's not been like that for a very long time ever, really, because they didn't have conference calls that back in the early 2000s. Um, but You're talking about the dynamic of it, though. I, I, yeah, yeah, I just... I it is, I'm, we're going to be a family, like a normal one. I don't know what that looks like, but what is normal, but we're going to have some kind of normalcy and it's, it's awesome. It's yeah. I, I just wanted to say this too, Eric. Um, I remember uh, I went up uh, during this process. I went up uh, home for Thanksgiving to visit my family. Um, and I had some friends visit me and uh, one friend in particular, her name is Shanna. Um, she had her father come over to visit me. And because I've always, we've always been close to her father. We love her father. You know, long story short, she's like, hey, Josh, we, uh, or hey, hey, dad, we got Josh back. 
He's like, yeah, I see him. He's right here. No, dad, Josh is back. And that, that was profound, you know? Um, and, and, and I was speaking with my brother yesterday on the phone. I will tell you this. Um, my brother said there, there, there was a point in, uh, for many years, he didn't recognize, even recognize who I was and we're, we're best friends. We're identical twins. Like he didn't know who I was one, two, he didn't like who I was and he struggled and struggled with that for years. Um, and I, I gotta tell you, it's, it's not only in my back, but I've got this new awareness through the, the world of recovery that um, it's just, it's been an amazing journey and it's, it's not, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. I have a long way to go. I'm still in <coughs> early recovery, but, um, but it's really, man, is it a ride? It's a ride. It's genuine. And it's real. I love the point you made too, man, because hope really is contagious. You know, I had a friend who I'm still dear friends with to this day. We were helping someone transition out of Banyan and into his center just yesterday. We were on the phone together. He was just as bad or, or worse than me and vice versa. And he got clean and sober a couple of years before I did. I guess it would have been actually four or five years before I did. And I saw it happen from a distance. And I'm like, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I began to think, okay, so there, there is hope. It is possible. Um, but it doesn't make any sense to me, you know, but I began to see like, wait a minute, if he can do it, I, I mean, I know him. He got arrested breaking into people's houses to steal painkillers. I'm like, I was right there with him on one, one kid. I know him. If he can, I can. And it took some years. Right. But I emphasize that point just like you did, because Hope is contagious. People deep down that are stuck in addiction, they don't like it. They hate it. They hate it. They don't know a way out. They may not be ready to stop. They don't have the answers. They can't articulate it when they're stuck in it. But they don't like that reality deep down. If you were to ask them point blank, they, they don't like that reality. But when they're able to see somebody else who they know is just as bad or worse than them, and they begin to see a genuine transformation in their life, it begins to do something in their heart and mind. It, that, that words alone can't do. They see a visual of, wait a minute, look at that person's life being radically transformed. And more of that's going to keep happening through your life, man. It's a, it's a, God begins to use this as a trophy of grace. Yes. Mm -hmm. I I, I'm just great. Yeah. I'm sorry, Josh, what you're saying? Sorry, buddy. Uh, I, you know, you know, it's, it's still surreal at this point to be my sister knowing who I was before this, uh, just to be so close to God, um, man, it's still surreal, uh, you know, and, and, you know, it's funny. First time I ever shared my story down here. Um, this is kind of funny. I, uh, so we get to the part where everyone gets to share afterwards and, and they're like, you know, saying things like, you know, uh, we look up to you, uh, you're doing recovery right and uh and all of these things and 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 i'm sitting here thinking you know you're talking about me this guy right here because if you didn't know me nine months ago <laughs> it's it's just it's still surreal and i i really like i said before i cannot take that much credit for it because it's just the beauty of god working in my life period I mean, that's, it's just amazing, you know? Um, he does, right? And yes. a family member, at least one, that maybe didn't do everything right, but refused to give up on the situation, refused to give up on you. That being, I can tell you this. Uh, yes, many times they cut me off, but not once did my mom, my brother, or my sister ever give up on me. And I think that that's an important message to share too, okay? Mm -hmm. While you don't want to enable your family member who's suffering, don't ever give up on them because without my mother or my brother or my sister, there's no way in hell I would have ended up down here where I'm at right now. Much of that is true for me in my journey with my family as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. You have to keep hope and that's, that's where hope plays into it. You know, 
And, you know, and there's um, one of the things I have to say is like, it's very hard. Um, sometimes we have families that would call in and the insurance wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to use their insurance and things. Um, I think that if we're going to move forward and we're going to do anything together collaboratively to make it easier for access for treatments, I think if we're going to do anything to try to help that, the, the lack of access for people who are not insured or underinsured, I think that, you know, if we band together in the community, we can find good facilities that are for people who are underinsured or without insurance or Medicaid. Um, in the state of Florida, somebody with Medicaid for detox has to wait 45 days to get into detox. That's how long the waiting list is. You know what can happen in 45 days for somebody waiting for detox? They could die. Um, it's, it's, it's finding those treatment centers and, and working collaboratively with people in the industry to get people access. Cause at one point Josh didn't have insurance. We're lucky, you know, he, he did this time, but he didn't the times before. And it was to try to find a good treatment center that treated him like a human and not a, and not a cattle herding. Um, is really, really hard and stressful on the parents, but I'm going to tell you something, the family members don't give up, don't give up because if you look and you search long and hard enough, you find the people, you find those good people who, who are allowing access and getting access and offering that type of treatment. There are people out there. There are facilities out there. And um, there, there is, don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. Because if I gave up, we wouldn't be here. We'd be in Pennsylvania. Uh, and I, I would I would have given up. Yeah, I, I would have given up too. Had, had they given up on me completely, I would have given up. You move heaven and earth to find treatment for your family member. Heaven and earth. Heaven and earth to find it. And I did. I found I found the right people. And I have connections. I know I've, I've built relationships with people who are doing the right thing. They're looking for avenues to give the uninsured and the uninsured people the access they need. Well, <clears throat> it is a very good point you make. And the more good people who are in the fight, the better. You know, I, yes. I, I spent a season a while back just uh, encouraging a lot of people who maybe don't even have a dog in the fight with addiction and saying, hey, we all can get in this fight in some way, shape or form and begin to serve our community because there's many, many people struggling. And you guys' story is it's so needed right now. It's so needed right now. The numbers, they, they gauge the um, epidemic of addiction based upon overdoses. There's a lot of other things that calculate into it. That's kind of the main statistic, but it's worse than it's ever been. Worse than it's ever been over 20 years or roughly 20 years into a, you know, they call it the opioid epidemic. It's not an opioid. It's just a drug addiction. It's an addiction epidemic is what it is. Mm -hmm. And stories like yours are powerful. They, they need to be told. People need to hear it and people need to hear it. it's, yes, yeah, messy. It's real. It's raw. Um, but exactly what you're saying, if we don't give up, I, I don't know exactly how it's always going to play out in every situation. I don't know. But I know that the people who refuse to give up, that the ending always looks amazing. It can play out in multiple different ways. But I know this, the person that refuses to give up, they win. They win. Families are healed. Lives are transformed. You know, that, that one individual who I could see in, in, in both of your lives, just one individual can touch the lives of so many people on the other side of that. And I just really, really, I want to thank you guys for coming on. I, I want to thank you for being real and open and honest because people that are stuck in the real hell of the mess they don't need, they need, to, they need real, raw. They need to hear what it's really like because they're stuck in the middle of it. They already know. So they need to hear it from somebody who really went through it, who has walked out the other side and now seeing this, this beautiful journey of healing, restoration, reconciliation take place. I, wanna, I really want to commend and thank both of you for coming on and being open and honest about your journey. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you uh, great opportunity. Thank you. Shannon, you, you said it throughout the podcast, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, huh. what, what, what would you say to say that, that mother, that sister, if you had a, 
you had a few sentences, if you had just a brief moment there, what, what is it you would say in that moment to do everything you can to encourage them and just pierce their heart with some hope? Never, I would say that no matter how hard it is, no matter if you don't think you can get up the next day to handle, just know that believe in yourself, never give up and never be afraid to seek help. Hmm. And if you have to be the, the, lar- the loudest dog, dar- uh, barking dog in the group to get heard, to get your family member seen and treated, I don't care if it's emailing Marsha Blackburn, the state, state senator for Tennessee herself, talk to her, to get changes and reform in your state, to get your loved one's treatment, then that's what you do. You never give up. You always hold on to hope and believe. Believe. It's your belief that. that helps you get through and keeps you grounded and helps you to keep moving. Mm-hmm. That's powerful and true. And Josh, it's same for you, man. If you had just, what, what if you, you, you know, um, I, I know you, you see it all the time now in meetings and you're, you're probably doing as much of it as you can, but what, what, what is it you'd say to that person? What, what is it you'd say to that person who's living like you were 10 months ago? If you had just, if you just had a brief moment to speak into their life, what would you tell them? Uh, where do I begin? I mean, get like this anymore. That's one of my favorite sayings is, you know, you don't have to live like this anymore. You don't. You know, get get comfortable with being uncomfortable, okay? Um, if you don't put the work in, you're not going to get the results. Um, you know, they, they, they give us these promises uh, through the program. And if you put the work in, they come true. Mm-hmm. And, and my, I've heard my sister say it over and over again, and, and you as well, Eric, there is hope. It's not hopeless. I, I, for years and years and years, I thought it was hopeless. I was uh, resigned to my fate. Like I, I thought that I was just going to drink myself to death. And here I am, you know? So I, I, I would really piggyback off of what my sister said as well. Get help. Because that help is going to lead you to the world of recovery. And ultimately, that world of recovery is going to lead you to God. So, yeah. Throw that puppy out the door. Shame and fear is the biggest setback that you can ever allow into your, in your life. Yeah, shame is a poison, that is for sure. Mm-hmm. You guys, thank you so much again. Um, I have no doubt that this will um, encourage many people who are stuck in addiction and also family members who are stuck in it as well, trying to fight. And, and deal with all of the effects that it's brought onto them. So you guys are awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Have a good day. Mm-hmm. And thank you guys for joining us on another episode here of the Recovering Reality Podcast. Thanks for joining us on the Recovering Reality Podcast. If you're looking for more recovery resources to help you in your journey, you can access our YouTube channel, a free ebook, our podcast and blogs through recoveringreality.com. You can also connect with us about recovery coaching, sober companionship, or interventions. And if you're looking for treatment for you or a loved one, you can reach out to a very well-respected treatment center called Banyan Treatment Centers at 866-942-8154.